My name is Dr. Ian Storch. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist and osteopathic physician, and you are listening to DO or Do Not. If you're interested in joining our team or have suggestions or comments, please contact us at doordonotpodcast.com. Share our link with your friends and like us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the DO or Do Not podcast. We are joined today by Dr. Margaret Wilson, the Dean of AT Stellcom. So first, we wanted to congratulate you for winning the Kissner Award and ask you what that means to you. Wow, thank you. Yeah, it's quite an honor. Uh, this is an award that, that ACOM, our national organization, gives and given to those who they feel have contributed to the profession in osteopathic medical education. So quite an honor. I'm very humbled by it. There's lots of very deserving people out there that work every day for our profession, but I'm very grateful to have this honor. We're going to take a bit of a pre-medical-based approach to this interview. So as a pre-medical student interested in osteopathic medicine, what can you do to get more involved in the osteopathic community during the pre-med years? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a good question. I think it's probably somewhat of a challenging one as a pre-med. You know, it's right. certainly, you know, it's to try to go out and wherever you live in your community to identify DOs, I think would be a starting place. Get to know if there are DOs in your community that would be willing to have opportunities to shadow with them so you can get to know more about the profession. If you're in a pre-med organization or club at your undergraduate school, if they don't already include osteopathic medicine as part of their presentations and discussions, then bring that to them. Say, hey, why don't we invite an osteopathic physician to come talk to our club and learn more about the, you know, that opportunity. So go out as a pre-med and, and kind of look for DOs, try to find out more information, try to connect with people, you know. If you know anybody that, uh, maybe a student, someone you went to school with or something that's at a DO school, you know, give them a call. Say, tell me about what it's like to be a DO student at a DO school and, you know, maybe have a chance to go visit them or, or learn a little bit more. So put your, your tentacles out there and, and see who you can touch base with. So... In your opinion, what makes a great DO applicant, and how does that differ, if at all, from an MD applicant? Yeah, that's another good question. You know, I think at least the way, particularly I know at our school, and I think most DO schools uh, you know, have a, a similar approach to admissions and looking at applicants, is that we have what we call a holistic approach. So we don't just look at the numbers. You know, we don't just look at MCATs and grades and, and all the numerical things that you know that you see on applications. We really want to look beyond that. And by what I mean by a holistic review, we look at things like, have you been involved in other activities, perhaps clubs or leadership roles or service? I know particularly for my school, it's important that we like to see that, have you been involved in service activities in your own community or maybe at your undergrad college. You know, things that make you a little more well-rounded than just the academic preparation. And, you know, we're very open to looking at non-traditional and, and, and things kind of beyond just what you might have an expectation of someone hunkering down and preparing, you know, for uh, pre-med with, with just the coursework. 
So I think it's uh, it's something that we we like to see that that candidate is much more broad and you know, well prepared in other areas. And that actually segues us perfectly into our next question, which is that in your previous interview, you mentioned how you finished high school a year early and then went on to finish college a year early on your journey to becoming a physician, which is obviously ideal and very impressive. For some of us non-traditional students who might have taken a more roundabout route to medicine, do you have any advice for those applicants and maybe if they have any concerns about whether it's too late for them to get into medicine? You know, first thing I would say, it's never too late. I've had friends that went back to medical school when they were in their 40s. I remember one of one of my students, she ended up being one of my students who was older than me at the time that I was doing, that she was precepting with me, that she'd had a nursing career before and, and decided to go back late in life. So I, there's lots of people like that. If that's your passion and that's what you want to do, nothing should stop you. It shouldn't matter if, you know, you've had a less traditional route. And again, I think just reaching out talking people who may have had a similar path where they didn't go straight out of undergrad in, into professional school. You know, find out what the, some of the hurdles and some of the opportunities were there. Talk to, uh, if you can, physicians that maybe had that non-traditional route. At my school, KCUM, we, we love non-traditional students. You, you know, they, they typically have a little more maturity and maybe a little different, you know, polished perspective of the world and so we really enjoy having non-traditional applicants and uh, again if, if you're in that category talk to people uh, find out you know talk to admissions department and, and see what the pros and cons for your, your situation may be. You did briefly touch on this topic in your previous interview but for our pre-med listeners out there what makes Kirksville special as a campus and as a community? Yeah, I think you can't really understand it until you've actually been there because of Kirksville's kind of unique nature. You know, not only is it the founding school of osteopathic medicine and that unique history and that culture of of pride, but, you know, it's in a a small, um, you know, more rural area. I think you'll find that if you come to Kirksville, you're going to be very much embraced, not only by the campus, but the entire community. If you're a student there, you're going to have close relationship with your fellow classmates, with your faculty, your professors, the staff. It's just a very embracing, very supportive community. Uh, We have something we call the Kirksville Experience. And whether you talk to someone who graduated 50 years ago or five years ago, they, they all mention what, what we refer to as the Kirksville experience. It's just kind of unique. It's not something I can probably even describe. You have to feel it. So I'd encourage uh, you know, people to, to come and, and get a sense of, of what it's like to, to be part of that very close-knit, uh, you know, not just medical community, but beyond. So please come visit. Definitely plan on coming to visit sometime soon. What hospitals is KCOM currently affiliated with as far as clinical rotations? Well, we have uh, clinical rotations for the third and fourth year across the country. So we have uh, core clinical sites, what we call our core clinical sites, everywhere from New Jersey to Utah and and everywhere in between. So there's a variety of of places that a third and fourth year might end up with as their clinical site. could be uh, at one of our sites in Illinois, it could be Arizona, it could be Utah, it could be New Jersey, it could be Arkansas. 
it could be all over the country where we do training and a core set of students will be at that site doing their clinical training during the third year. And it gives a lot of current opportunities to maybe be in different parts of the country. During your previous interview, you mentioned growing up surrounded by great DOs such as Dr. Delbert Maddox, among others, and how that influenced your decision to become a DO. Could you speak a little bit more to that and what that was like? Right. Well, you know, growing up, I grew up in Kirksville, again, the, the, the founding birthplace of, of osteopathic medicine. And you have to understand, you know, the whole town is familiar with our history and our tradition. It's just completely immersed in osteopathic medicine. There wouldn't be a single person you met in town that wouldn't know what a DO is. And because of that, it's just a unique place. You know, I had the chance to be around many of these greats like Dr. Maddox, who was my family physician and our next-door neighbor. And, you know, just come to understand just that uniqueness. There seems to be something different and special about osteopathic medicine that attracted me. And obviously, we have that philosophy of really having a more holistic, patient-centered approach to patient care. And, you know, I just could feel that in the compassion and the empathy that I saw in the DOs that practice in this community. And I, I never, I truly never considered anything else. This, this philosophy, this approach to patient care just so uh, attracted me that that was the kind of doctor I wanted to be. And that sounds like such a great experience with the DO profession. When juxtaposed with my story and many others, I grew up on Long Island. My father is an MD, and I was mainly surrounded by MDs. Luckily, I met Dr. Storch, and he introduced me to the DO profession. What is the DO community doing, and what should they continue to do to raise the profile of the profession so more people can have that great experience that you had? Yeah, that's that's a hard one to answer. You know, we've had that problem, that question for, for many, many years, is how do we get the word out? How do people become better, you know, uh, familiar with what an osteopathic physician is or even know about the profession. You know, it's funny, many people will have been to a DO and they might not have ever known it. You know, they might have seen a doctor and and didn't realize that they were a DO and and the the kind of the distinct difference there. I think we have to do a better uh, job as the profession. And I know uh, our national organization, ACOM, is, you know, working to try to get more uh, awareness out about what a DO is and certainly to get awareness to pre-meds to know that there's a choice in, in medical schools and medical education. And we just have to be better advocates for ourselves. We have to speak up. You know, we as DOs need to speak up and let people know who we are and what we are and, you know, what our difference is. It's been a very hard hill to climb for 135 years of our of our history, but I think we're making great strides. And certainly with the growth in osteopathic medicine and the growth in our schools and our students, you know, I think word is growing. I think people are starting to recognize us. We also need to work more at the national level and with governmental at our state levels to, again, make make sure our voice is heard and people know who we are and and what we bring to the table in terms of health care that's kind of uh, unique and and special. I think that's a great answer, and I like that you acknowledge the progress that has been made because there has been a lot of progress made. And that does take us nicely into our next question which comes directly from Dr. Storch, and it comes with a little bit of a backstory, if you'll bear with me here. Just this past weekend, while on vacation, Dr. Storch ran into a pre-medical student. 
They got to talking, and when asked what schools the pre-med had been accepted to, he replied that he had been accepted to a school in Missouri without mentioning the school's name. That school ended up being A.T. Still University. The student did not know that Dr. Storch was a D.O. and seemed a bit bashful about sharing that he would be attending a D.O. school until he realized Dr. Storch was a D.O. and he was proud about it. This left an impression on Dr. Storch and we wanted to get your thoughts on the situation. Wow, yeah, that's quite a story, but, you know, I guess it doesn't, in many ways, it doesn't surprise me. You know, again, we just haven't quite got to that stage where maybe we we take pride and feel confident in our equality with, with the MD degree where people, you know, feel comfortable, like this pre-med felt comfortable saying, you know, I, I'm... I was accepted to EO school. That's great. I'm just as good as any other pre-med candidate out there. I think we're, we're getting there, but there's still some of that hesitancy, uh, obviously, in light of, of the, the story, and, and I understand that. But you know, we need to take pride in ourselves. Again, as a profession, we need to be at the table, which ACOM has done tremendous work the last couple of years to really make sure that DOs are at the table at every national organization and, and have a voice and have a recognition. You know, it's just like the people you don't know, you don't know. But once you know them, they're part of your, your community. So we just got to keep working towards that. Great answer, and we appreciate the work that you and other great DOs like you are doing to keep advancing the profession. This one can be a bit of a tough question, but what is the best piece of advice you received on your medical journey so you could share it with the incoming generation? You know, so many different pieces of advice over the years, you know, but the one I, I'll say I've heard it repeatedly and kind of in different in my different roles. I've heard it, heard it first from one of those greats of osteopathy that we we kind of alluded to Dr. Max Gutensong, who was known as kind of the diagnostician and the, the great medical educator, educator of osteopathic medicine of my time, who I had the great uh, privilege of learning under. And then I'll take you later, when I became a dean, I heard very similar advice from the president uh, of our university who was getting ready to retire at the time right as I came on board, who was a good friend, uh, Dr. Jack Magruder. But they both kind of said the same thing. Dr. Gutensong always said, listen to your patient. Just listen to your patient, and they will tell you what's wrong with them. You know, and in, certainly in this day of all the technology and all the you know bells and whistles we have in medicine, it reminds us to get back to the basics that we really need to listen to the patient. You know, if we hear their whole story, and again, I think that's just that osteopathic philosophy, if we really listen to their whole story, it's not just about their symptoms that they may have, because they have a story with them. They have a, a family. They have a social situation. They have, you know, a history to tell us about. To listen to them is so important to be successful as a physician. And then Dr. Magruder told me, as a dean, just listen. Listen to your people. Listen to your faculty. Listen to your staff. Listen to your students. He says your job really is, is just to hear them. You know, you won't be able to solve every problem. You won't be able to make everybody happy. But people just want to be heard. So I think, you know, regardless kind of what role we may play, you know, in any of our, our jobs, that you know, that's probably good advice for just 
the human condition is to listen to each other, right? Because people want to be heard, whether it be a, a patient that's that's sitting in your office wanting to bring their problem and have you help them overcome that, or it might be you know a student or a faculty member that has something that they need help with or help to be solved. So just try to be a good listener. I think that is, I love that advice. And just to sort of follow up on that, do you feel as if that sort of personal connection in the medical field is becoming a little bit of a lost art in today's high-paced world of technology and maybe over-administration? Yes, good question. I, I Yeah, I, I, I think so, but you know, I'm hopeful that it isn't lost. And again, I think that's one of the things that makes perhaps the osteopathic experience in medical education maybe a little, you know, head, heads up on, on that is because we do have a, you know, a strong history. I, I know in our curriculum, we talk a lot about, you know, getting the patient's story and listening. So I think it's there, but yeah, it is hard. And, you know, medicine is so fast paced, you know, in there's just so much that you just try to get through your day. But I have to remind myself, and I know we all have to remind ourselves sometimes just to slow down and, and just take that extra moment to, to listen to your patient. And um, it, it goes, it's, it makes it rewarding, certainly for us as the health professional, but it certainly can make a difference in that patient's life just to take a little more time and stop and listen. So uh, we got to keep that that the art of medicine. We're, we're you know we've become very highly evolved in the science, right? And we know the body of medical knowledge is just keeps expanding and expanding. But we can't lose that art, that art of the patient. That is all we have for today. Powerful words there from the great Dr. Margaret Wilson. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been a joy. All Thank right. you. This concludes our episode of Do or Do Not. Send all inquiries, comments, suggestions, and even let us know if there's someone you want us to interview to do or do not podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at do or do not podcast for updates. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your classmates and administration. We have plenty of more interviews lined up and we're excited to share them with you. This is Tian Yu Shea. Thank you guys so much for listening to do or do not.